what I'm getting ready to share, hopefully uh, somewhat devotionally. Uh, it only makes sense if I share it with us being a little closer than we are. Um, it's been a long morning for some of us. <laughs> I know Jason up early. Uh, Brian came in early uh, and did a fantastic job getting this place in order. So thanks for for doing that. Um, so I, I, I thought, you know, maybe I should just have prayer and communion and let everybody go home. And I, I thought about your maxim, maxim, you know, no such thing as a bad short sermon as well. Uh, but I, I felt like that uh, at least I will make it worth your time since you made, made the effort to come out here. Uh, were you guys surprised whenever you woke up this morning and you saw all the snow? I mean... It caught me completely off guard. I, I went to bed and I saw it raining and I'm like, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go past us. And usually my dog will wake me up about 3 o'clock in the morning pretty faithfully. And uh, they'll tell me i got to go out. i got to go to the bathroom. And there's a part of me that always wants to say, no you don't, just hold it. But for some reason this dog has gotten under my skin in such a way that I get up and I go out and I... It's an odd scene, you know, because you're, you're not real clothed and you're taking the dog out and it's cold and you're like, why am I doing this for this animal? Because I can't help it. I love that dog. He's just, <laughs> he's a good dog. I mean, he's just, he's faithful and we bonded. And so you do, you do things you wouldn't normally do when you, you bond with people. And I'm getting ready to read a passage of scripture that I've been sort of dreading preaching uh, and as I've thought about it it has a lot to do with what I just said and it comes at the end of Matthew's uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, it's a statement that Matthew said or that, that Jesus said that Matthew wrote down as he recorded it that uh, is a little mind-boggling and I, I'm just going to show it and and tell you what I think it means not everyone he says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, I've done good works in the name of the Lord. Um, I've even believed the right things about the Lord. And I could very well be that guy that Jesus is talking to. And maybe you felt that way whenever you've read it. And if you have, perhaps we can clarify where he's going with this. Uh, for starters, um, I'm here to tell you that when I first became a believer, for me it was about a personal relationship with Jesus and I didn't know a lot about the Bible but I read enough in the red letter edition that I knew those were his words and I started to kind of connect with him long story short went to Bible college learned a lot of theology you probably said yeah you learned too much but as I learned all that stuff I found myself getting farther and farther away from that personal relationship and more into learning and saying and thinking the right things so much so that there was a period of time where I just kind of dried up inside when it came to the, to the Lord's presence in my life. And I had to step back and check myself and say, what's, what's going on here? 
And I realized that the first love that I had had kind of disappeared and re was replaced with just a love for the word, which is important, but it took me a while to figure out that the connection between myself and God is facilitated by the word, but the word isn't the end all and be all. There's something else that has to happen in, in your relationship and my relationship with God. And it, and, it, and, and it starts with the question, what do you think is the difference between religion and relationship? Just, just anybody want to weigh in on it for a second? Pride. Pride? Oh. You become knowledgeable if you don't keep yourself in check. The Bible says knowledge pops up. Okay. So without having that love mixed in with it, right. you can't help but, but become self-righteous. Okay. So pride is a big one. Uh, a lot of religious people that are proud of their religion and proud of themselves for doing it so well. What else? What else do you think of when you think of Mickey? Religion is treated as a historical study. Okay. Okay, so it doesn't have a lot to do with the moment. Okay. Anybody else? Kathy? Heart. Okay. You definitely have to have heart. Um, that's what I think Jesus is, is, is directing us towards. Because I read that and I'm like, there's something missing. What is missing? And it actually is not just the information. Sean, did you have... Yeah. You want to do it in a relationship. We're getting closer now for sure. I, I've done a lot of funerals in my in my day and some of the funerals that I've done, especially with people from the World War II generation, have been interesting because a lot of times when that person is getting ready to go to the Lord, I'll hear this phrase, I hope I've been good enough. And I, I always kind of am mystified by that because I, I guess where I came in on the timeline, it wasn't so much about how good you were, but who you were connected to. And I think what Jesus is driving at here is trying to overcome some of the mistakes that were floating around that you just had to do all the right things in the right way and, and impress the right people in, in the right way so that you could, in the mind of everybody, at least give a sense that you're connected with God. And it was all just kind of an act. But it's deeper than that even. As I think about where he's at, who he's talking to, and well, let me just show you a picture of where this sermon is being, being given. It's just on a hill out in the country. But the scripture says that people came in droves to that hill. Uh, they went out and they followed Jesus to this hill. And Jesus said, I'm going to do everything that Moses did. If you remember that story from way back, I'm going to kind of give a new declaration of where things stand between ourselves and God. Like Moses gave the law on Mount Sinai. So just stick with me for a minute. Um, Jesus had in Matthew 4... It says that he was baptized, he was tested, he was tempted, he preached the word, but the 
chapter ends right before it pivots into this sermon by saying that Jesus went all around uh, and it names all the places all around geographically. And he healed people and he showed compassion and he ministered to them. And it seemed like wherever he went, he was making a personal connection with the people that were there. There's a word that I think of that happens whenever you're involved with someone that is very deeply personal and traumatic and you are working with them on it. There's kind of a bond that happens. Some of the best bonds that I've had with people in the church have been when they've gone through a time of deep crisis and I've been able to be there as a pastor. And these people were hurting. They were in crisis. And Jesus didn't just pontificate like I'm kind of doing here. But he, he came down to the ground level and he, and he touched their lives. He, he, he touched people that you weren't supposed to touch by religion standard. He connected with them. And so by the time the word of mouth started to get generated... People began to ask, who is this guy? And other people would say, well, I can tell you because I talked to him. He touched me. He healed me. He relieved me of my burden. He gave me hope. The scripture even says, oddly enough, he spoke as one having authority. That is somehow everybody else was talking about God, but it was sort of like a religious, you know, we're going we're gonna to throw some good words out there meant nothing to nobody. I don't know if that's a double negative, but you know what I mean. It was this sense that Jesus brought a very personal dimension to the whole thing. It was an awareness that this is, this is more than religion. This is about bonding. And as a pastor, one thing I do know is people who are in the church tend to be loyal to one another and faithful to one another when they do something together that maybe was uh, a traumatic thing where people gathered around or they served together or they did something that was start to finish a, a working through of a process that created a sense of camaraderie. And that's essential. And what God wants to do is work in your life and mine in a way that he's engaged with everything that we do. He, we're bonding with him. And I just want to show a video on that concept. If you're a student of early childhood and things like that, you'll know where this is headed. But it essentially is what Jesus has in the back of his mind when he's saying, don't just go through the religious motions, but rather connect with me, connect with the Father, connect with people around you in the ways I've already started connecting with you. And so let's just show this video. It's about three minutes long, but I think it'll, it'll help. I've been spending my life trying to put the pieces together of how attachment unfolds. And in fact, I had a wonderful opportunity of taking a whole year off just to be able to study all the attachment theories um, th throughout the ages, actually, and see how it is uh, that attachment is meant to happen. And it's, it's a beautiful story, really. I'll try to tell it very quickly and very simply. In the first year of life, a child does attach through wanting to be with, uh, to be uh, in sight and smell and hearing, um, in touch. Uh, but by the second year of life, a new, uh, a, a new way of attaching should open up in which the child wants to be like 
like, not only with, but like. And this is the key to language acquisition, to uh, stamping our form on their behavior. It's a key to so many things. If that goes well, the third part, by the third year, uh, it, it should, uh, a child becomes preoccupied with belonging uh, and becomes preoccupied with loyalty, uh, to be on the same side as, which is a different way of closeness, uh, to take the same side, to serve and obey. And that's when the obedience instincts uh, begin to be there. By the fourth year of life, uh, you, you should see, you should see in a child a huge quest for significance to matter because he feels close now when he is dear to those that he is attached to. Now, if everything unfolds properly, the fifth year is incredible. The limbic system, the command center, uh, or the amygdala, the command center, the limbic system, the emotional brain pulls out all its stops. And the child gives his heart to whomever he is attached to. He falls in love. uh, And he's deeply emotionally attached to his kitten, to his grandma, to anything that is there. And this is is amazing. And it's so important because when the child develops at that level, it sets the stage for the rest of parenting. We cannot parent children whose hearts we do not have. We can't parent even our grandchildren whose hearts we do not have or adult children. This is absolutely essential. So children need to fall deeply into attachment and we need to make it easy for them. The last stage is uh, is a very interesting stage. Uh, if, if it's safe to attach, there's no defendedness emotionally, then the child actually wants to share all that is within his heart. And so the six-year-old is busy telling her secrets and, uh, and not to have any secrets that divide. This is the beginning of of psychological intimacy, which should characterize our marriages and our best friendships. And so we've got all kinds of intimacies with, like, belonging, mattering, uh, our heart, emotional intimacy, and then finally psychological intimacy. And this is the context in which children are meant to be erased. So the the beginning, uh, the infancy and toddler is just the beginning of a wonderful unfolding and development of the capacity for relationship. Okay, that may have been a little heavy for you on a Sunday morning, but the one thing I want you to take away from that is that there is an example that's just built into the way that we are made that shows what God is trying to accomplish through Jesus with uh, the attachment that is not there. The religious people of the day had done pretty much everything that they could to generate barriers that would cause people to feel disconnected. And what Jesus saw was how badly this was damaging the process of disciple making. He was aware that as a, as a child is born into the world, because he's made us that way, the responsibility and it's the instinct of the mother is to begin to nurse that child, to bond with that child, to connect with that child, and to look at the father and say, You see what I'm doing? This is what you need to be doing too. But it's interesting how the father generally will say, yeah, I never wanted to change a diaper in my life, but for some reason I'm feeling this odd pull to need to do that. Now first I need a little bit of prompting and coaching. But what emerged out of that was when you're attached to someone, you do whatever it takes to attend to their well-being. When you're not attached... You really don't care. 
Because you don't have that capacity to even care. If you heard what he said, that child has this need to be loved so that they can themselves love. The reason why attachment theory is even a thing is because a lot of us, whether we're pastors or counselors or teachers or you're in law enforcement, you'll run into these individuals who never attached. And the only way you can tell is they may have a lot of charm. They may have the ability to sell themselves to you. They may make you feel good about yourself. But if you spend enough time with them, they really don't know how to love. They at best know how to manipulate, but they don't have that capacity to love other people. And so they really don't care what other people think. All that they care about is what they can get from other people. And in an extreme form, it's a sociopath or a psychopath. And the reason why this person is like the way they are, attachment theory says, is that when they were born, their mom said, I don't want anything to do with you. And as a result of that, they never felt love. They never were loved. And they never developed the ability to love. Now, probably most of us in this room can say we were loved and we attached, we bonded. And it made all the difference in the world. But imagine putting that into a religious framework. Or, dare I say, a framework where God is saying, I want to adopt you as my children. Is God going to use a bonding process? Is he going to try to love us in ways that are meaningful and tangible? Is he going to go about the countryside looking at different people and seeing them in their lostness and saying, God loves you and I want to heal you and I want to show compassion on you. I want to deliver you from the demons that oppress you. That's exactly what Jesus did because he knew that there were people longing to be attached who had never seen anybody demonstrate what it means to truly be attached. And as a result of that attachment, know how to love. And so I think that is why when he said, you'll do these things and you'll even say the right things and it will telegraph to everybody around you that you're on the right track. But the fact of the matter is, when it's all said and done and we have a conversation, I'm going to have to say, I never knew you. Because I was never attached to you. And that's the only way I can look at that. Is the personal relationship that is so critical for us was never cemented. And so we just went through the motions. And where I want to take this with us is I'm sure that you guys in this room... um, have that personal relationship with the Lord. And it's something that we have to continue to cultivate. And I also know that as that relationship unfolds, it'll be tested and tried. But if we're attached, we'll trust. Because one of the things about attachment theory is you never learn to trust people because you've never 
felt the love and trustworthiness of another human being. I mean, imagine being an infant and you're coming into the world and every instinct in your body is saying and in your mind and in your being is saying, I just, I just want to suckle. I want to connect with my mom. I want to be close. Like I've been close for nine months forming. And that mom saying, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you in any way, shape, or form. And if you put yourself on the receiving end of that, what a devastating blow for a child to begin to navigate the type of world that we live in with no one to trust and constantly feeling insecure. And what it creates really is a fortress where you're like, it's just me versus the world and I got to do whatever I got to do. I mean, it's just a natural byproduct of not bonding. Now just imagine a church and you come here and you don't get any love. And you're saying, I want to see the love of God. I sense it in my spirit through that relationship, but I've discovered that I'm not finding it in, in, in the five senses realm through the people who he's supposed to embody. And I think when Jesus put, was putting this sermon together, he was trying to say, this is a new way to live. He gave the sermon. He said, blessed are you in so many ways. He said, do this and don't do that because uh, this will work against your relationship with me and the Father. And then he closes out by saying, don't be that guy. Don't be the religious person who hasn't attached, who hasn't connected, who hasn't bonded. Because no one's going to bond to the Father if you can't bond others to yourself. I just want to end this real quickly with why Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount in the first place. Essentially what Jesus was doing was trying to copy what happened with Moses and the people that were nurtured into a relationship with him through being called out of Egypt, passing through the Red Sea, and then led to a staging area in the Promised Land. So that Moses could go up on the hill. Let me just show you a slide of the geography of that real quick. It looks something like this. If you look at the top on the left side. God calls these people out. He says I want you to be my firstborn son. He literally uses that phrase about Israel. I want you to be my firstborn son. And then he hauls them all the way down to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula. And it's not a nice place. It's a place where really nobody's at. And there are reasons why nobody's there. But I think what he wants to do is in the non-distractedness of that space, he wants to talk to them. And through Moses going up to the top of Mount Sinai, receiving the law, he comes down and he gives the law. And he begins to shape how they think about the life that they're called to live, to unlearn the things that they learned in Egypt. And God's saying, I don't want to just give you religious information. I want to develop a relationship with you. I want you to depend on me and to lean on me. So here's where he took them. Let me just show you a couple of places that, um, pictures that describe. Okay, this is one shot 
of where a group of people, a million and a half almost, spent 40 years. Let me show you another picture. There. How many people do you think are in there? Anybody want to guess? Probably zero. How much food is in there? Not much, if any. How much water do you think you can find there? Okay, so let me just set this up. God called these people out of Egypt to be his children, and then he sticks them in a place like that. Not for a year, but 40 years in the desert with no resources, in a place where nobody in their right mind would go. Why would God do that? Where are they going to get food? Where are they going to get water? Where are they going to learn to get along? What's their source? Where did the food come from? You remember what, they, what kind of food it was? Manna. And then they got bored with that, and then they had quail. And then they had a water problem, and Moses tried to sort of do that without connecting with God. And if you ever read the story, it didn't really end well for Moses. But they ended up with food, water, and all the wisdom that they needed for the journey. In the desert, God said, this is the only place I can hit the pause button enough for you to not be distracted by everything that's going on around you and reconnect. You know, even in the digital age, it's hard for me to sometimes feel like I, I connect with, you know, with, with, with my kids. And it's interesting how when we remove ourselves from everything and we have something that we're doing together that's a challenge, we start to attach, we start to bond, we start to connect. And God said, that's what I want to happen in this wilderness and I brought you here so you can learn to trust me because I am trustworthy. He even uses language like giving birth to these people. All that to drive home a few points. One is, what we do here is not a religious exercise of just getting a lot of information right. It's about a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. If you've been here for a while... Our job is to try to embody that as well as we can and to attach as many people as we can. Now, one of the frustrations I have as a pastor is I'd love to attach with as many people as I can, but it's hard. I, I can't be everybody's best friend all the time, and it's the most heartbreaking part of the job is that there's so many great people to connect with, and I just feel like I, I, there's not enough of me to go around. But it is cool to see other people attached to other people. And the only way that this place works, sure, it's good to have the right information or the right this or the right that. But if bonding doesn't happen with people, nothing happens. And Jesus is trying to preempt that. And we're trying to facilitate it, hopefully, where if there is a need to connect, we want to make sure that you can connect with him first. And then hopefully, in the process, connect with each other. And it's amazing how we do what needs to be done for people that we're connected with and to. Yeah, I thought about those guys coming out this morning. And I realized, you know, it's 6 o'clock in the morning or almost quarter to 7. And 
we're in a snowstorm and, and probably not a lot of people are going to show. And I was so grateful for all this shoveling and there was a lot of shoveling that happened here and all the plowing and all of that stuff. And, and you think, why would somebody do that? Other than they've got a good attachment with the Lord and hopefully a good attachment with the people in the church that they care about. That's why we serve. And at the end of the day, Jesus said, it's either religion or relationship. And I want to offer you a relationship. All those images that you see of him doing all those wonderful things, that's what he wants to do in our lives in the right way at the right time. But he does want to know you. And he wants us to be known by him. So that's where I'm landing the plane. And I just want to, um, I guess, close that part out with prayer. Father, thank you for giving us a sense of who you are by just looking at the imagery of a child thriving when those who see that deep vulnerability step in and offer everything that's necessary for their health and well-being. And in the same way that you've made that beautiful relationship happen, you're saying that is how I want it to happen with people that come to know me through my son Jesus. So I just pray, Father, that you help us who are in a role to facilitate that in, in any way that we understand attachment or non-attachment is happening by our faithfulness or lack thereof. And for those who are longing to know you and to know others, I pray, Father, that we may be that means by which you can express your love. So just bless everyone here as we think about the connections that we have with you and with others. And if we need to improve that capability by being more faithful, then convict us accordingly. And if we just need to surrender our lives to you and be adopted into your family, may that happen as well as we um, conclude this time in your word. Thank you for your grace, Lord Jesus, that draws us into your life and into a beautiful relationship with you. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.